and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today I have the pleasure of talking to someone who I've already talked to. You may recall Tim Olszynski from Zenput, who I actually talked to in the beginning of this year, which is 2020, in perhaps February? Or maybe it was last year even. 2019 we talked in. 2019, yeah. There we go. So, Tim... um, knows me from way back when we had no idea about the coronavirus and we talked about distributed teams and how to manage them so if you guys are in somewhat of a similar situation at the moment managing people working from home and stuff you might want to check out the sixth episode of the level up engineering podcast and uh, listen to what tim had to say about uh, managing distributed teams back then Fun fact about him is that he's from Australia, which you will hear soon enough. But he's currently VP of Engineering at Zenput. And uh, before that, he was CTO of Aconex. But I will let him tell you a bit more about himself and uh, perhaps what his passions are. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Carolina. I think when we last spoke, I I was the VP of Engineering. But since then, I've actually taken over both product and engineering. So now the head of both product and engineering which is a, a fun a fun world to be in passions many but certainly a little different now that we're stuck at home for the most part in terms of what we can do so been doing lots of cooking and lots of eating naturally lots of drinking uh lots of reading uh lots of watching tv but um normally you would probably catch me learning a lot more about philosophies of management, uh, building teams and and making them successful, uh, getting into the right way to balance the needs of technology and, uh, and people leadership. So giving people, you know, opportunities to do the stuff they love while also getting everybody working together or swimming in the same direction. And I think that's a big part of the topic for today as well. Um, So that's a little bit about me. Um, I think, the current world, it's definitely an interesting time. And so, as you mentioned, that uh, that podcast about managing distributed teams is probably applicable, uh, especially so now. Right. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we have, a, we have a different topic. We heard that you have recently finished creating a career ladder. And so today, we would like to pick your mind about that. Um, so... Let's start by the story of what you had worked on. Sure, 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 sure. So I think um, when we last spoke, uh, I think I was probably six months or so into my role at Zenput. And uh, I spent the first 12 months, I think, uh, trying to understand a little bit about the team, the company, the business, all the all the stuff you would expect as anybody new to a company. And the team that I had still have, uh, basically everyone is still here we're all fairly senior, fairly experienced. And a lot of the conversations I was having with uh, members of my team were, you know, what's next for me? What should I be thinking about? What should I be doing next? And the team was not tiny. Uh, You know, we were, 
I think in the upper teens. And at, at a certain point, it was no longer possible for me to just have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and tell them what they should go do next, right? Um, it became apparent uh, that it was necessary to have some consistency uh, so that people can talk about things internally and understand different uh, goals for themselves. And so I set a goal in the last quarter of 2019, looking back on it now feels, feels uh, so recent, but um, at the end of 2019, where I wanted to give the team a lot more clarity and structure on their career paths and how they could be successful. And that was uh, made even more evident because nobody on the team really wanted to be a manager, maybe one or two people. Um, and certainly with the growth of the team, that was important. Um, and I think traditionally in technology careers, you know, you usually reach a peak of uh, hands-on contribution and the only way forward to either earn more money or progress in your career or do more interesting things is to become a manager. Um, and having done this or been in environments where that was the case in the past, I wanted to avoid that. Now, I'm happy to go into why, but by and large, I think that, that many of the listeners here get it. We want to give people the opportunity to do the things that they love without sticking them into roles that they aren't necessarily going to enjoy while giving them more and more opportunities to, to make an impact on the company. So going into the end of last year and into the beginning of this year, we conducted, a, it was actually rather fast in the grand scheme of things, but we, we put together a plan for creating the career ladder. And I think a, an important thing I haven't mentioned that's, that's definitely relevant for this um, is before we decided to do a career ladder, we'd actually gotten together as an engineering team or engineering department and decided on what we valued as a team and what are the kinds of you know things that we should pay attention to when we make decisions. So classic sort of values and mission type work. Um, we, we created a set of principles for ourselves, you know, the things that uh, we want to consider whenever we make technical decisions or technology decisions, frankly, for the business. And then we, we brought all of that together to describe the traits of the people who are at the company uh, in the engineering team and, and the types of people we had hired and the types of people we would want to hire. So we came up with values, principles and traits that became this sort of foundational framework uh, as we thought about who we were and, and who we want to be. And that's important because a big part of the career ladder. So we started that in Q4. I partnered with uh, our head of people ops uh, who had done this many times previously, uh, who was very, uh, very good at coming up with a plan and getting us all together to get it done and making sure that it represented the best of what we were trying to do. This pre-work I mentioned, values, principles, traits, uh, was really powerful in creating sort of the, the basis for the career ladder. And we'll probably talk about it more, so uh, maybe I won't spend a lot of time into the depths of it, but uh, we took a couple of months, which I'm told is actually very, very fast for creating a career ladder from scratch. We took a couple of months to put it together, many cycles of review, uh, and ended up with something that we launched at a company offsite. And I think I mentioned, man, mentioned doing company offsites in the previous chat. We launched it at a, at a company offsite pre-COVID uh, earlier this year um, that gave everybody some insight. And then there was some follow-on activity to basically either get people to determine where they fit within that matrix, right, within that ladder, 
uh, and then also to put together a plan for everybody on what they would be focusing on for the next six to 12 months uh, on, the back, on the back of that. So um, from start to finish, I think we, we began the process, not including the foundation I mentioned, probably December or late November, December of 2019. Uh, and we had that offsite at the end of January and then through February and March, we went through and, and spoke to everybody on the team and got everybody to, to figure out where they fit in and what they're going to do with it. Right. Thank you for sharing that. So now that we have heard about the story, let's jump into the nitty gritty. You mentioned that there was some sort of a mutual understanding within the team of the need for creating this. What were some of the first steps that you had to take um, in order to create this ladder? Yeah. So I, I mentioned the, the vision, the principles and traits uh, activity, and I'll maybe take a couple minutes to talk about that because I think that's, that's a, a critical piece in it. So folks who may have been through these exercises before, you know, classic sort of design workshop style where you get, you brainstorm, you identify things, you get people to, you know, describe the things that they find most important or the things that they care about. And you go through a series of reductive steps to kind of cull that list down uh, and clean up the language to, to describe you know, the values, if you will, right? So, so one of the things that we have as a company and uh, one of our company values is empathy and empathy for both our customers and our users. And a big part of the reason why that's the case is because we are not our own end user. We're not building software that we use ourselves. And because of that, we need to make sure that either the decisions we make or the people that join the company are able to put themselves in the shoes of our users so that we build the best software for them. And importantly, for, like, for an effective team, naturally, you want people to be able to put themselves in one another's shoes so they communicate effectively, right? Um, that's one example. That, that company value is also an important team value, but it's we extended it further with the principles behind it, right? So uh, an, an example of uh, an engineering principle that supports empathy is making sure that the code you write is, is readable by the next person who touches that area of the code base, as an example, right? That's empathy for the next uh, contributor. That's also empathy for the rest of the team. There are many good things about it, but those are just you know some, some examples that are probably relevant to many companies. We went through this exercise. It took us about six months to complete that uh, from start to finish. So that was actually something I started just after we spoke last time and uh, concluded it probably around September or October uh, of that year. We created a, a matrix that described the values, the principles, and then documented the traits of the people based on our subjective assessments of one another, of what made them successful at the company and what we wanted to keep and what we wanted to be sure that we're recruiting for in the future. So having that foundation in place where everybody understood and agreed upon these are the basics um, meant that going into the career ladder uh, step, we wanted to build a career ladder that would reflect those same things. So what does that mean? That means that if, like I said, empathy is an important piece of what we do, then how do we reflect empathy in the various levels? right? Or the various uh, competencies that we have in our team and in our company. Um, similarly, if there is a, another principle or another value we have, which is about acting now, right? We, we try to design software that handles the future use cases, but we don't build the software for tomorrow. We build the software for today, 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there is the balance that we wanted to include in our career ladder about people making the right decisions and trade-offs, right? When picking two competing approaches to pick the, the right one and, and use the right mindset to drive that. So myself and our head of people ops uh, got together in a room we went through an exercise that people are probably familiar with from say doing retrospectives or whatever, where we brainstormed those, those core values and, and how they might be reflected in a career ladder uh, that created a, a big list. And then from there, we categorized the things that we thought were essential to reflect in our career ladder into, you know, five or six buckets technical competence, right? For, for an engineering department, technical ability is definitely an important piece of it. Another one is, uh, let's just say communication. We have to communicate our ideas both verbally, we talk to one another, um, but also in, uh, in writing and in code and those sorts of things. So we came up with these categories. We took those categories and, and built basically the, the headers for the, the rows and columns for the matrix. And that sort of became, again, the basis, right, for, for that ladder. One thing I didn't mention or didn't talk too much about was how many levels, the decision-making around that and what we thought was important. But that, I think, is um, a subjective decision for an organization and, and where they are. For us, we had people at sort of the upper end of our career ladder, and we wanted to provide some room for growth. Uh, so we may have added extra levels than, than another organization may have with a similar size team, but also we didn't have that many junior folks. And so we wanted to have a career ladder where we could have a, a decent distribution for the people that were currently on the team with an opportunity to grow. So we settled on six that felt right uh, at different stages. It's, it's primarily four levels with two of those levels having sort of level one, level two type separation. And once we identified the levels and, and the understanding behind them, um, we, we started to conduct workshops with a wider team. So I've, I've started to go really deep into what we did, but that was actually something that we, we did in probably about two weeks, two to three weeks. So I, I think that is a, a really good first step to kind of build the outline of the matrix of the career ladder. And then the real hard work obviously is the filling it in. You mentioned that you sat down with the, with the head of people operations or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to ask you, who were your main supporters if you were the driving force behind creating such a, let's call it matrix, because it sounds like it's more of a matrix than a letter. So how was this actually put through in the organization? I mean, I just don't picture myself when I sit with engineers, them coming up with things like empathy is such an important trait for us, you know, like it just sounds yeah. like a, a different uh, level of abstraction. Um, yep. And I'm just wondering if you had like an external consultant or if you all did it yourselves or what was the driving force? Yeah, we did this all internally. Uh, so we, we didn't work with anybody externally. And I think a big part of the reason for that was I had done this numerous times myself in prior organizations or prior teams. So in terms of the mechanics to a large extent between myself and our head of people ops, you know, we knew what to do. I think the team 
as a whole had understood their own personal desires for growth, uh, had done some introspection. We'd had lots of conversations about it. And I think part of the reason why I joined or was brought into the organization was to also give the team opportunities for growth, right? So kind of the hiring decision, the the team itself was very much on board with the end goal. <laughs> um, the end goal being, you know, having a way to measure their own development and all those other things. The process itself and how we did it in terms of driving force, I guess I was, um, but it was definitely supported by, uh, I mentioned the head of people ops, other kind of key stakeholders in the organization. So people who might want to emulate this. So the members of our leadership team, our CEO, um, all saw the need for it with a growing team and the importance of it. And, and something I didn't mention is that a career ladder is actually very, very helpful when you're recruiting and growing a team. So having a way of assessing people who are joining the company and helping them understand how they fit in when they join, you know, having some structure around that early on makes it way simpler down the road. So we knew at the time that we were planning to grow our team and we have continued to grow our team and will continue to grow our team. And so there was a lot of good reasons for doing it. And the individuals on the team, so specifically the engineers uh, that I had spoken to, were all broadly supportive and very in favor of it because they felt like they were missing something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the level of detail, that's probably a more personal decision that I took rather than themselves. But the fact it was is that the team wanted to know how do I progress and what are the things that I need to be developing, like the, the, the areas, in order to progress. And so that, that formed like a big basis of how we tackled it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for the clarification. So when it comes down to the, to the actual matrix that you have, what are some of the different expectations when it comes to the different levels of, of engineers? How do, you, how do you differentiate between them? Yeah, so um, I think at a, at a kind of very general level, there's sort of two things that drive the level or the, the, the what do you call it, the, um, the matrix. <laughs> so we have level of impact or area of focus as one, right? So at the earliest stages of a, of a person's career, you're typically being told specifically what to do and often how to do it, right? Because you don't necessarily have a lot of professional experience. You're doing lots of things for the first time. It's very new. And even incredibly intelligent people, regardless, still benefit from clear direction and understanding of you know, how to be successful, right? And that includes where to change code, what types of uh, tickets to pick up uh, and all that kind of stuff. So the kind of general theme, I suppose, is the the focus and how much of the individual's time is at an individual task level that is given to them, progressing all the way up to almost full autonomy to pick up big, big projects, right? So there's that kind of scale uh, element there. The second area, which probably should be 10 different things, but it's, it's skills, right, that, that differentiate. And those skills are at a broad level, you know, technical skills, their understanding of distributed systems uh, in, you know, in an organization. Again, early stages, not a lot of experience with it, may have done a master's degree on it, which a great theoretical application, but practically speaking, there's still some learning to do. 
there's non-technical skills. So, you know, for us, one of the things is a business mindset. That's just one example. We've got a few of these, but we want people on the team to really understand how their work connects to the mission of the business and can talk about it and really be able to uh, tackle the problems for the customers with a business first mindset, not necessarily our business, but kind of customer first mindset rather than, hey, I want to go and uh, and build the coolest piece of tech that no one's ever going to use. Right. So that's kind of at a, at a high level, right? It's sort of the, the focus, whether they're doing individual tickets that are given to them all the way up to they're creating projects and, and making it very clear. And those projects might be many months long and might require many people to work on it, but you know they're trusted and, and they have the experience to say that this is something we need to do. Uh, and then based on their skills, how they progress, right? Whether technical or non-technical skills. Right, right. Thank you. Yep. So you mentioned that um, for you as an organization, it's important for the engineers to have a, a mindset that allows them to understand the business as well. Now that I think about it, there might be, and this might not be the case in your organization at the moment, but there might mm -hmm. be engineers who have experience in different sectors or in, in even different professions. And um, mm -hmm. after having achieved something in a different industry, they came and became engineers. Is there a differentiator in your matrix for, for age or experience gained in in uh, different industries or or anything mm -hmm. like that sure yeah yeah and that's actually that's a great example so um when we think about sort of like a, a business mindset or uh, being customer centric we're and we're not necessarily in our organization looking for people to have come from other companies that are doing things similar to us um, what what we look for is sort of less less tangible, right? It's how well can they pick it up? How well have they picked it up, uh, and can they run with it? Um, so we're not we don't typically require deep domain expertise coming in, but we want somebody to acquire that domain expertise while they're with us, right? And so on that topic, I think that by and large we don't have a threshold, um, but when it comes to their kind of focus in terms of the, the level that they're going to be joining the organization and the impact that they're going to be making uh, and say some of their more technical skills and, you know, things like communication, whatever else. We do look for a certain, call it range of, uh, of time spent uh, at a similar level, maybe in another organization. So age is definitely something we don't look at or care about in the slightest. Um, you know, we've got folks at different extremes of age on the team uh, with vastly different levels of experience as well. It's the, sometimes the oldest folks on the team are not necessarily the ones with the most experience, which is fine, frankly, for us. And, and, and we don't care. And frankly, we like that. It gives us a, a nice mix of people. But the number of years of experience is more of a, a guide rather than a requirement. So to give you an example, right, we've got six levels at our very first level, we typically expect zero to one year, right? This is somebody who's probably a graduate of, uh, of a degree program, or maybe they've spent a bunch of time in a coding boot camp and done some projects or something like that. So we're not at the earlier stages, we're not looking for much, if any, experience. 
And as you as we progress, you know, towards the the highest level of our matrix, we're looking for ideally somebody will have fifteen or more years of experience, right? And there's sort of a, a range in between. So that said, you know, if we came across somebody in our organization in in recruiting that only had ten years of experience, right, based on their resume or LinkedIn or whatever it happens to be. But we could very confidently, you know, tick all the boxes in terms of our career ladder for that level. 100% wouldn't question it. We'd bring them in, right? It's, it's the, the years of experience can be so different at many different organizations that sometimes in one company, a person can learn in a year what they might only learn in five years at another company. So we use it more as just a way to give people a bit of direction but not necessarily as a hard and fast rule or requirement before you can progress or um, even even join the organization at a certain level. Right. So if somebody is listening who's done a lot of work recently and feel like they are getting a lot of work put on them, then they mm-hmm. can look on the brighter side and say, I am gaining a lot more experience than I would. Would I not be required yeah. to work so much? Um, <laughs> So you mentioned something along the lines of as you were growing, you had people who were interested in switching to management. And now we talked a little bit about uh, people coming out of college or a coding bootcamp. My understanding is that people certainly have to pick up a lot of skills while being out on the field and, you know, actually being individual contributors. But what is the kind of expertise level that one needs to achieve before they can think about managing a team or switching to management? I've got maybe some strong views that, that may not be uh, well, well accepted or, or maybe a little bit controversial. But uh, something I've experienced is that the best managers, certainly that I've worked with uh, or for, and, and my colleagues have, have similarly said, have a deep understanding of their team's work and how it's done. And I mentioned empathy, right? And have deep empathy for their teams and are able to help guide them or eliminate blockers and understand the language that the team is using. Now, that doesn't mean that a manager needs to have 25 years experience as a software engineer before they can become a manager, but they also can't have none, right? So there are some differences there. And I think the expectations of a manager are important because in some organizations, the role a manager plays may be very disconnected from the technical aspects of the role. Um, and so managers in some organizations might have come from almost pure project management experience, right? And, and done some people leadership and that's how they've become managers. And unless you do the project management piece, you can't become a manager. In our case, let me sort of give you some specifics. So. Our career matrix has six levels. Uh, So to be specific, we have software engineer one, software engineer two, senior software engineer one, senior software engineer two, and then staff software engineer and principal software engineer. And the first half of our career matrix is pretty much designed that people have to progress through each level, right? In order to be successful in the career long-term, we've determined that uh, that senior software engineer one, sorry, senior software engineer two, is the first level at which an individual can make a choice to you know, not push themselves very hard in developing everything else. And there's a reason for that, that I'll talk about in a second. Or if they want to, it makes sense. They've learned enough that they can switch to a different career, uh, namely management. 
And what that means for us is that a person at that level has typically developed maybe seven years of software development experience, right? They're not very early on in their software engineering career, but they're also not necessarily, you know, like I said, 20 years into it. So with that, for us, that becomes a conversation for folks that want to become managers who are maybe not yet even at that level. And so it's get to that level, make sure that you understand how we build software and, and how good software is built. Uh, and maybe that's not here, maybe that's somewhere else, right? But get to that level so that you are able to be relatively autonomous and you know how to solve most problems. And at that point, you will have likely also managed or led some projects. And so you have learned how to organize the work. You have also learned how to work with other people because no longer are you an individual being told what to do, right? At this point, you're likely giving some direction to others, not everybody perhaps, um, but you're working within a team, right? As opposed to within an individual task. And so from there, that's a good basis to transition to a career in management and, and then progress through that kind of separate ladder, if you will. And for us, just to touch on this for a moment, the reason that distinction is important is that at that senior software engineer two level, that's sort of the level where you can build anything, right? And you can work on all kinds of interesting things and you're not really deeply concerned or maybe you are and you want to progress, but at the levels beyond that, it's more about making an impact on the organization through technical leadership as opposed to people leadership. And that technical leadership is mentoring others, doing more architecture type work, pairing with many other teams. And, and so that's a, I think that starts to become a very different role. And it's that level, that kind of level four for us, and it's probably different in different companies. Um, it's kind of at that point where you, beyond that, you kind of stop writing as much code. And so naturally that's a good point for people to decide. Do you want to continue to write code? Do you want to not write as much code? but do you want to not write code where you're focused on technical topics or are you more interested in helping people kind of organize the work and do the work better and get, you know, bigger projects done that way? Mm -hmm. So if I understand correctly at this um, senior software engineer level four, if you decide that you don't want to manage people and want to remain very close to the technical side of the entire product development. What is your next step on the career ladder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the kind of the next level up, so we call it a staff software engineer. It could be called something else at another company. Um, and similarly, we have the level beyond that that's a principal engineer. So I think I was telling you about the the focus, right? And And to describe that a little bit, in the work, basically in the first four levels, it's execution, it's hands-on, you're writing code. In the levels beyond that, you're not really writing as much code, you're maybe pairing with more junior members of the team where they're doing a lot of the work. You are maybe drafting design documents or more likely reviewing a lot of design documents. You are spending maybe not all of your time, but a decent portion of your time doing code reviews for others. You, you may be working on kinds of big picture strategy type things, right? And that is determining whether now is the time to switch to some new technology. And that's, that's kind of what starts to happen at the upper levels. That, and that doesn't mean, by the way, I think it's important when anybody is sort of looking at a, a career ladder, that there should be some element of those things in probably all the levels below it. 
but it's not the focus, right? And and so in our case, that level four, the focus is still writing code, but it's also supporting the team. And past that point, it's not about writing code, it's about supporting the team and, and the ways in which you support the team are not purely through you know, one-on-ones and, and feedback sessions and various other things, but more in helping people make the right technology decisions, helping people write the best code, uh, and giving advice and guidance in that way. So you end up having to deal with people either way. Exactly right. The difference is, is in one case, you're responsible for the person, right, as a manager. In the other case, you're more responsible for their decisions in a technical fashion, right? right. So you want to make sure that they're making good decisions. I feel like that's a very important point to highlight yeah, that people are just at the core of any profession. And even if it comes to software engineering, people are who you work with. Yep. If you decide that you will stay close to technologies and you will be on the forefront of, I guess, the, the technological decisions of the entire company at some point, you know, um, mm-hmm. making sure that you switch or you stay with with the given technology at the right time. When it comes to the managerial roles, what are some of the specifics that you can give to your leaders, which they have to um, become better? In terms of their focus or their application of a career ladder? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think kind of in, in terms of expectations of managers at a whole, as a whole, it'll vary based on the size of the team that they're responsible for and, and how their work is aligned. So I think, you know, in our case, we have engineering manager is sort of that, that breaking off point. Um, before it, it's kind of a, a pseudo managerial role. We may have somebody have a, kind of a lead engineer type responsibility, which is not quite people management, but also not no people management, if that makes sense, right? It's you, you might be having one-on-ones, you might be giving feedback, uh, you might be helping people be successful, but if somebody's underperforming and you know you absolutely have to ask somebody to leave, like you're not having that conversation at that level just yet, right? Right. So there, there needs to be some kind of similar focus or description of what the focus is uh, as managers progress. And that typically also means that if you're an engineering manager, you're probably managing engineers. But if you're a director, you're probably managing managers. And so at the direct level and certainly beyond that, your focus from a kind of career matrix perspective, the engineering managers are the ones that are helping their team members progress through this career ladder. And they're the ones that are hopefully, you know, certainly with experience getting better at it, but they're the ones that are either creating the opportunities to take on the interesting work that allows people to develop the skills or, or knowledge. They're maybe giving some guidance or maybe even acting a little bit like a coach, right? Instead of being prescriptive and saying, hey, you should do this. They might be you know, stepping back and saying, well, what, would, what do you think would make you successful, right? And that primarily happens kind of at the level where an engineering manager is managing their team. Now, managers of managers, they have the careers of their managers to manage, right? But they are more likely to be reviewing the career matrix and the career ladder in aggregate, right? Across perhaps multiple teams to ensure that it is both fair and reflects what we actually value as a company. There's sort of two two things here, I think. 
the last thing you want is a career matrix that no longer makes sense with a change in the organization, right? right. So if you if you built something for a, say a twenty person team and now you have a two hundred person team, that's it's probably worthwhile updating it to make sure it reflects things. And that's that's a part of the responsibility of the directors uh, and the managers of managers to be thinking about. But the, the competing thing here is that you don't want it changing too much or too frequently because that just moves the goalposts on people and then they can't progress and that's a bad outcome. So I think that's sort of when managers are looking at the career matrix. If you're managing engineers, you're making sure the engineers have a path. When you're managing managers of engineers, you're making sure that the path is clear to everyone, if that makes sense. Right, right. And I love that distinction. Um, and actually, I was going to ask you, you have finished creating this letter a few months back, right? Um, mm -hmm. Have you made any sort of like an agile system in which you check back on the success of this letter? Um, you mm -hmm. mentioned how, you know, if your team grows significantly, there might be a specific mm -hmm. time for you to realize that and check back on your letter. But have you put in any sort of a circulative, you know, motion as to check back every quarter or every year, or if you notice something that isn't working, then let someone know or something like that? Yeah, great question. I think it's not formally uh, documented in any way, right? We don't have any sort of explicit direction, but the intention we have is to review it every year. And, and the reason it's a year and maybe not more frequently is that by and large, a lot of the things in our career ladder are not things that somebody can really develop or change in an incredibly short period of time, right? They're not they're not often things that somebody is going to acquire these skills or this knowledge or this experience in a month. Maybe, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. So what we've done is we've put plans together for people and the outlook for the plan is sort of six to 12 months ahead. And that seems like a good time to reflect back, right? So people put plans together. We discuss with them along the way how they're going um, or how they're developing. And then sort of at the conclusion of that period, we look back and see, okay, were they able to achieve some progression, right? Are there, are there things for them to celebrate? And based on that, did our, did our matrix help or hinder that? Right. Uh, and, and if it helped, maybe that requires a little bit of change, make it better or easier. If it hindered, then similarly, right? Maybe we need to take some things out because they don't really matter and whatever else. I think one of the important evaluation criteria of a, of a career matrix is one, how, how clear it is to everybody, right? And how, how well understood it is by everybody on the team, but also how much opportunity it gives for people to develop. So if you're not seeing development amongst the team, Maybe you're not giving out a lot of promotions, which is fine, but perhaps the competencies, right? Those kinds of areas that you may have, if your team members aren't developing within a six to 12 month period, I think that's a, a very qualitative, but very important assessment to do and decide whether there's something deeply wrong there. And that may not be a problem with the career matrix. That may also be a problem with, uh, with managers and whatever else, but I think you, you want to see development, you want to see progress, and you want to see it based on the categories that you've defined. Awesome. I feel like we have covered a lot of things as to why having a career matrix or ladder is just like so beneficial. And I'm mm -hmm. also, I feel like I repeatedly hear that it's so great for hiring because you can 
immediately put people in some sort of a picture for yourself, which not, might not be a thing that someone off the shelf thinks about having a career right. ladder. So let's just quickly run through some of the mistakes that um, you mm. think are easy to to do when you are designing your own career ladder. I think there are a couple of things. One, the sort of deciding on the right number of levels is important because too many and it becomes very arbitrary and it's unclear how people to progress and it may take people a long time to reach certain critical thresholds. Similarly, too few and you don't give your team an opportunity to progress and kind of mark that progression. And, uh, and on that topic, there's many things to say for and against uh, titles. I think titles aside, what titles at least give is uh, kind of clarity on what level you are in. And so whether you use titles or not, the, the level is still important for people to, to track their progression. So making a good decision there that makes sense for the size and stage of an organization is essential. And I've seen that happen where somebody only really had three levels, at which point it's kind of pointless. Um, because somebody might sit in the middle level for 10 years, right? Right. Um, and so there isn't a lot of progression. Conversely, if you have too many levels, then you're constantly promoting people, which feels good, but at the same time, you it's end up in a situation. Exactly. You know, people like, what, what, does this, what does this level actually even mean, right? I think that's one. I think two... On the topic of the levels, it's tying compensation too strongly to these levels, right? So, so naturally, you know, value is a hard thing to describe and a hard thing to articulate, and and salary and compensation and all that other stuff is a is a big deep topic. But something I've seen go wrong is where people have very rigid sort of bands for each level, um, where somebody may actually be. Uh, having a lesser impact at the highest level than somebody perhaps, you know, a level or two below them, but getting paid disproportionately more. And that often happens, I think. Um, and that isn't necessarily fair, right? right? So I think there's an element of ensuring fairness uh, in, in the ladder to the people and that fairness should apply to things like compensation. And often career ladders are tied to compensation, uh, and so it's important that that is um, not an arbitrary decision and that where there are bands in an organization, that those things aren't defined in a way that's very tight and leads to feelings of unfairness um, and, and dissatisfaction in the long run. That's the second. And then the third piece I think I've seen go wrong in some places is where somebody does some Googling because they think they need a career ladder. They find career ladders on the internet they copy and paste them and they think, oh, this is great. This is perfect for us. And they end up using it without all the context that went into this career ladder. And it doesn't reflect the organization, doesn't reflect the team. And so it becomes this really sort of disconnected thing that nobody cares about right. and, uh, and becomes useless in the long run. You know, I've, se I've seen it not necessarily go horribly wrong, but it just ends up being this thing that nobody pays any attention to. So it becomes just a box checking exercise. And what's the point in doing that? Right. Wow. Yeah. And as you said in the beginning, you started by actually trying to describe and put to words what the organization's values were. And if you just get 
something off the internet that's probably not going to have the the same set of values that you are trying to have. I see that we are shortly running out of time, but I just am aching to ask you what the feedback has been for for this this matrix. Going back in in time now, uh, when we launched it, everybody loved it. It was you know, great. The development plans went out, still great. I think it's been a very useful, and that hasn't changed, by the way. So the feedback is still good. Everyone's, uh, for now, uh, still very happy and satisfied with it. And everybody seems to have a clear understanding of you know where to invest and how to progress. And the managers on my team also have the right framework to give you know career guidance and and help team members uh, develop their careers. So I think it's been it's been very helpful. It's been very useful. You know, this is a first year, so you know. So let's say we speak again next year. Maybe I'll have some some different feedback for you. I'm sure there are some things we'll need to tweak and change. I can already pick out one thing. We we introduced a new process in terms of how we make technical decisions, and that is not something that our current career ladder reflects. And so a lot of time and effort is being spent by the team in a, in following this process. And we think it's great. It's around design, you know, technical design and documentation around it, but that is not explicitly documented in the career matrix. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, six months from now when we're reflecting, we come to the conclusion that that would be a really good thing to have explicitly called out so people know how they should be engaging with it at different levels. Right. Thank you. That's very eye-opening. Sorry, but I am just curious. So you are not touching the career letter right now for this new process because it would be like a hasty decision or, or is there another reason i think changing a career ladder the way i think about it is you're potentially changing people's career paths and that's not something that you should do quickly and if you are going to do it that also requires investment and communication and spending time with people so that they understand the changes and how those changes affect them you know again how they fit within the new framework uh, once it's updated and what they should be doing based on a, maybe a pre-existing plan and how this affects that and so if you think about it that way, you realize, whoa, that's actually affecting a lot of things. And I think it's it's not a good move to mess with people's careers too much or too frequently. And I think it's better to have maybe a little bit of structure where people know, okay, in six months, it's going to be looked at. So if a change does come up, that's okay. We're not moving the goalpost on you. Right. Um, but if we do it unexpectedly, things can go badly. Sure, sure. Thank you. Is there anything we haven't covered and you'd like to share some advice with our listeners? I think we actually touched a little bit on, uh, actually a lot on sort of big mistakes, right? Getting those things right, uh, I think is important and not just copying something off the internet. I think the other thing I didn't mention is depending on where you may have, if you're a, a leader and maybe you're responsible for an engineering department, I don't also think it's wise to copy and paste the matrix you had at a prior company that you may have created from scratch either. It's sort of the same principle, right? I think the last piece on this is, I think it's important to have a structured process for creating it. And like any sort of change management that you include other people in the team as part of it. Like this, this, this wasn't something I did on my own. I did some of the work on my own to get the, the foundation in place, but it was definitely something that involved numerous members of the team that everybody understood and everybody could communicate around. And I think it's important to not just all of a sudden present a matrix that no one has ever seen before. 
but that's kind of more general change management advice, I guess. And then the, the second piece on it that I didn't really talk about, our matrix had a lot of detail. I think uh, a career matrix doesn't have to have a crazy amount of detail, right? It doesn't have to be a matrix. It can just be a ladder. I think ultimately it's the goal that matters and why you're doing this and making sure that you're you're doing the right thing. So if it's just to give some general direction to the team, but you don't want to, you, you don't think the team likes, wants, or needs a lot of precision, then that's okay. Maybe it's a few bullet points at each level to give people some just general understanding, right? Um, I think every organization is different, different stages, and I think that there may be a, some of my statements may have made people think that this is deeply complicated. It doesn't have to be. Right. Uh, are you planning on sharing your your matrix at any point in time? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think we'll publish it on, uh, I think it's progress.fyi. I can't remember the website. But anyway, um, I think we'll publish it at some point. We have a bit of information on it on our website, I think, or careers page. But at a certain point in the future, we'll definitely get it out there to share nice. with the world. Nice. So watch out for that. Thank you so much. If our listeners haven't followed you, where should they do that? I think best place, LinkedIn. Um, that tends to be where I'm still most active, you know, recruiting and, and everything else. That's where it keeps me. But I am also on Twitter. And so if folks want to interact, Twitter is also a great place. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today. It's been another great conversation. Thank you, Carolina. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. So... Dearest listeners, um, this was another episode of the Level Up Engineering Podcast. And um, today we had a guest who you have already heard about, Tim Olshinsky from Zenput. And uh, this time around, he talked to us about engineering career letters. And we touched on a lot of things, including how to go about starting with it and what are some of the biggest mistakes you can make. So um, I hope you got some great takeaways. And if you are in the midst of designing your career letter, then let us know how we helped you do that. As Tim said, follow him on Twitter or follow us, the Level Up Engineering Podcast on Twitter and, um, and tell us what happened in your progress. I am Carolina Toth and I'm glad you were with us and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.